the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. With Easter still in full view of our rearview mirror, we take a look at the reality of sin next here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Today, we begin a series called The Reality of Sin. We've just celebrated the resurrection of Christ, so if ever there was a reality of sin, it can be found at the cross. But it can be found elsewhere throughout Scripture, and that's what we focus on today as we begin our series on the reality of sin. Please join us. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. But God, you can't blame me. I'm an alcoholic. I'm sick. My doctor said I am. God, you can't blame me. I'm a homosexual. I was born this way. I can't help myself. Let me tell you, if you say that to God, He will laugh right in your face. But Lord, you can't blame me. They're telling us now, and this is very true, beloved, that rape is a syndrome. And that people who rape others should be left off the hook because there's a new physical malady that causes people to rape other people. Lord, you can't send me to hell for being a rapist. And you know, the next thing you know, the so-called experts will come up with an embezzlement or theft syndrome. Do you see where this can go? You can't pass the buck. You may fool everyone else, but you try that with God, and He will laugh in your face. Now, you may think I'm being extreme and radical. But you may leave here today saying, I'll never go back to that church. And trust me, I'm sorry, and that would trouble me. But you can believe whatever you wish about me. But someday, when you stand before God, and you start telling him this crud, he will say, I have heard enough, and he will send you directly to hell. Because sin is not a medical or a metaphysical problem. Sin is an ethical problem that can only be solved through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, notice there in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, and some were, and such were some of you, past tense. Now, can you imagine someone in a home for alcoholics saying, some of you were alcoholics, but you know, you're not an alcoholic anymore. That is not going to happen. But here in the Bible it says someone can be dominated by drunkenness and not be that way anymore after he has repented of his sins and come to Christ. Some people can be rabid homosexuals and not be that way anymore after they have repented of their sins and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. If your problem is ethical, 
There is no hope for you. Sorry. There is hope for you. Whatever the sin is in your life that is dominating and eating away at your life, you don't have to sit back and say, that's just the way I am. No, sir, it is because of sin, whatever that sin is. And if you repent of that sin and you come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you will. You will find cleansing at the deepest levels of your life because Christ can set you free of your sin. And whatever the sin is that is dominating your life, whatever it is, adultery, or whether it's rape, or whether it's drugs, or whether it is lying, whatever it is that is enslaving you, Christ can set you free. The sin problems that you and I have are not because that's the way God made us, but because in our hearts we want to sin. And when we come to Christ in submission to Him, He will set us free. Now let me tell you something about temptation. Whenever a person is tempted, there is an interplay of internal and external forces. I mean, you can't say, the devil made me do it. Or say such things as, I got angry because you made me angry. There is, an inter- there is an interplay of internal and external forces every time a temptation takes place. Turn with me to James chapter 1 and you'll see it. And understand that unless the internal and external forces are in play, then you don't have a temptation. James 1.13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now there you see what makes temptation such a powerful thing for us. Notice the interplay here. In verse 14, it tells us when someone is tempted which is when he allows his own lust and his own desires and his own passions to embrace that which is tempting him, like a pornographic magazine, he does it in spite of his knowledge that he should not do it. In spite of the knowledge that he does no better. Whenever you and I sin and give into temptation, we know better. Whenever you sin, your conscience is telling you, you know better than this. But when the evil desires and lusts of your own heart embrace that external temptation, that is when the sin is born. And when the sin is born, it always brings forth death. When you say to yourself, I know God wants me, what God wants me to do, I know what God does not want me to do, but I want to do it anyway. I want to do this anyway. I want to enjoy this anyway. The evil desires of your heart have embraced the opportunity afforded to you, and when that takes place, uh, when, when sin takes place in your heart, and when sin is born, death is the result. I know God says, thou shalt not do this, but I want to do it. 
I know God doesn't want me to do this, but I long for it. I know God says thou shalt not, but it feels so sweet. That is what makes temptation so powerful. It is when the desire of your heart overcomes the conscience and the demand of God's word on your life, and you say, in effect, I I know what you want me to avoid, God, but I want it anyway. And if you stay in that direction, you harden yourself, and it becomes harder and harder for you to break free. Temptation is not something to play with. If you are in a situation or relationship and you, you start feeling tempted to do a certain sin, get out of there. Break off that relationship if necessary. Turn off that computer. Do whatever is necessary to get away. If you are in a relationship where you are tempted in a certain direction, maybe it's immorality. Maybe it's dishonesty, dishonesty, maybe it's theft, maybe it's envy. Whatever it is, get out of that relationship. Break it right on the spot. That is the way Christians must deal with themselves and their temptation. Temptation will ruin your life if you play with it, beloved. And understand that the reason it will ruin your life is because of your old remaining sinful desires. And those old sinful leanings and longings that are still there in the human breast. How is sin born in the Christian? It is when those old desires that are normally under control say, I want that coveted thing, even though God said, Thou shalt not. And you see, when you define sin like that, you then understand that the nature of the first sin is the nature of every sin that has ever been committed ever since. And what did Adam and Eve do? They said, I know God did not want us to eat of that fruit, but I wanted to anyway. It's beautiful to look at. The smell is wonderful. The touch is great. And the taste is bound to be luscious. I know God has said, thou shalt not, but I want it. Their cravings and their desires overruled their conscience and the clear demand of God. And they said, in effect, I I know what God wants of me, but I don't want to obey God. I want to obey myself. Beloved, whenever any one of us sins, that is what it is. Don't ever think that sin is cute. Don't ever think that there are little sins, you know, little white sins you hear, or big black sins. All sin has that very nature. Whenever you or I sin, we are saying, I want what I want, and God can go to hell. And you're probably saying, Gary, you've gone too far this time. No, that's it. Whenever you or I do whatever we know God doesn't want us to do, we are saying, God, go to hell. I'm going to do what I want to do. Now do you see in that light what terrible thing sin is? So what is sin? Who ultimately determines what sin is? Do we simply take a poll in our community? 
And it all depends on what the standards and values of the local community are as to whether or not something is sinful. Well, you know what? That's what the Supreme Court said you were to do in the reference to pornography. They said we're to take a vote and let that determine what sin is. Now, we as Christians know there is only one way to determine what sin is, and that is for God to say what it is. And that, of course, is one of the reasons that God gave us the Bible. And most particularly, the law in the Bible to help us identify and define sin. We have no right to say something is sinful if God hasn't said it is sinful. We have no right to say something is okay for us to do if God has said it is not okay for us to do it. We have no moral legislative power. God hasn't given us the authority to legislate morality and say, All right, you guys, whatever you think is right, that is what I want you to do. Beloved, that is the essence of humanism. The essence of humanism is I'm going to do whatever I think is right in total disregard of God and the Bible. But a Christian says, I have only one lawgiver, and that one lawgiver is God himself, and that law is written in the Bible, and it is written on my conscience, and it is written on my heart, and as his subject, and as his child, and as his creature, I am to do what I am told. He is my Lord. What he says is right is right, and what he says is wrong is wrong. I must do what he says is right and avoid what he says is wrong, regardless of the consequences. For I am a creature, and I can't live any other way. And when I as a creature try to live in any other way than that, I'm trying to be my own lawgiver. I'm trying to do as Adam and Eve did and say, I don't want to live in terms of God's boundaries and God's definitions and God's standards. I want to make up my own rules for the game. You see, a creature can't do anything else. A subject can't do anything else. A child of God can't do anything else than obey his father's standards or suffer the horrible consequences. So when a creature... A subject of the king, a child of God, wants to know the difference between right and wrong, whether or not a certain course or a certain choice is sinful. Where does he go? He goes, of course, to the very word of God because he knows that God has given us the Bible, particularly the law found there to define and, uh, sin and how we are to live. And let's look at a couple of verses that bear that out. In, first chap- in John... In 1 John chapter 3, you see the definition of sin. Verse 4, everyone who practices sin is practicing lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. There you see the definition of sin. Sin is lawlessness, or as our catechism says, a lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. In fact, you cannot adequately define sin if you do not define it in terms of God's law. Whenever you try to define sin in terms of the mores and customs and practices of a certain culture, you wind up with relativism. The only way you can define sin in terms of, is in terms of God's law. Because most of the world's cultures have their own views of right and wrong. They end up on the trash heap of mankind 
and America is well on its way. For instance, Joe Moorcraft uses as an example of this the Zulu culture in South Africa. In the Zulu culture, it is right for a king to have several wives. The more wives he has, the more children he has, the children will intermarry, then the more wealth and influence the king will have, and supposedly the more stable tribe that tribe will become. It is inconceivable on the part of non-Christian Zulus for a king not to have several wives, which of course destroys God's intention for marriage to be of one man and one woman. And this causes many disruptions and divisions in the family and in the tribe, as you may imagine. Another practice of the non-Christian Zulus is, if you want to have a good harvest then it is right for you to go to the witch doctor and get, you know, that little witch doctor concoction and then put it into the ground. Don't worry about cultivating the soil. Don't worry about putting any fertilizer on it. Just get your little bottle of magic from the witch doctor and bury it in the ground. And because of that irrational, non-Christian, non-biblical practice, much of the Zulu land is literally infertile, yielding small crops. But they're doing what they think is right. Of course, that does not mean it is right. Man does not determine what is right and wrong. Only God can. Most of the Middle East lives in daily fear and terror and bloodshed and displacement because of what they believe is right and wrong. But sin is lawlessness. It is something that is contrary to the Word of God. And that's why there is so much disruption and terror in the Middle East. Let's look at Romans 3, verse 19. Now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. God gave his law to identify and define sin for us. Do you want to know what it is to be sinful and what leads to the death of individuals and cultures? Look to the Bible. Yeah, but you know this preacher that I admire? He says such and such is sinful. Well, if it's in the Bible, (coughs) he's right. If it's not in the Bible, he's not right and you need to ignore him. Yeah, but the Supreme Court says that such and such a thing is immoral. Well, is it? Go to the Bible. What does God say? If he says it is immoral, then whatever the Supreme Court says is wrong and it is immoral. That is the way you must address all the issues of the day. If your children come to you and ask, may I do this or that? Is it right or wrong to do this? You don't say, well, son, daughter, this is the way we've always done it in our family. My father on down to my grandfather before us. No, you go to the Bible. And we don't go to some individual, no matter how intelligent he may be, and ask, is it okay to think this way or that? Unless we're willing to compare what he has to say to the answers that are in Scripture. Well, if his answer is biblical, that's fine. 
But if it is not, you must ignore it. The Bible must be our only standard all across the board, whether as private individuals or public officials or a parent or the Supreme Court or the President of the United States. The only rational thing, the only thing for a creature, for a subject to do is ask, what is God's opinion on this matter? What does the revealed standard that reflects God's heart and God's mind say because the Bible was given to define sin for us? Nothing else. And if we don't go to the Bible, we will call good evil and evil good. One last verse in Romans 7, 7. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul is saying, I knew and felt in my own heart how terrible a thing covetousness is because the word of God revealed it to my heart. Now, this is so important for us that when it comes to identifying sin, It is not what our culture tells us. Our culture says, if you don't do everything in obedience to the law of the land, give the government 100% respect and allegiance, fight in whatever the civil war, whatever the civil government calls upon you to fight, then you are a poor citizen. You are unpatriotic. My friends, that is evil. In fact, it is in my opinion that it is evil thing for a Christian to keep Muslims from killing Muslims. Yeah, you heard me right. And if anyone was to ask my counsel, I would tell them to conscientiously object to fight in such a conflict. The Christian has a responsibility to do what God says is right, not what man says. Our so-called patriotism says is right. What is the final authority for your life? And this is why I believe what I said earlier. The Bible says we shall make no entangling alliances with anti-Christians. Muslims? Are they Christians? No, they are anti-Christians. But Gary... It's the patriotic thing for us to do. We need that oil in the Middle East. No, we have enough oil in the U.S. to last for a millennia if we are allowed to tap into it. There are other suppressive, ungodly reasons that we are in league with Muslims. So what is sin? Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression against the law of God. Our concern as Christians is to do what is right according to God's word alone, no matter what man says. And you know, if you are not a Christian, you can't do right. It is absolutely beyond your capability. Or you may mimic Christians. You may do certain things that seem correct. But you do it for yourself. You are not doing it for God. And the Bible says then you are doing something that is unholy. And your only hope is to repent of your sins and to cast yourself upon the mercy of Jesus. And if you are a Christian, you will still sin. 
In fact, God's word said, if anyone says he is not a sinner, the truth is not in him, and he is a liar. But the Lord Jesus Christ stands ready. He stands ready and willing to continue to forgive and to cleanse and to wash away the sins in a Christian's life. So that even though sin is heinous and a wicked thing, the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ are still greater, my friends. And it is still true that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Amen. And this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose. As we conclude our time today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know the program encourages you as you take the time to join us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear from you. It means a great deal to us. It always does. 408-866-5607 is our phone number. Again, 408-866-5607. If you wish to visit us online, you'll be able to gather more information about us, who we are, what we believe, and where we meet. It's all found at reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. You can also drop us an email there as well. We even have past messages available online that you can tap into freely at your convenience. Again, reformedheritage.org or call 408-866-5607. Now, normally, we would invite you to join us for worship, but because of the shelter-in-place orders, we are suspending our in-person worship services here at Abounding Grace and Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose. If you'd like to know more, again, call us at 408-866-5607 or visit our website, reformedheritage.org. And then we also invite you to write to us. If that is something you don't mind doing, picking up a pen and paper, we'd love to hear from you. You can write Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road, and that's here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Thank you for spending time with us today. We look forward to hearing from you and looking forward to spending time with you in God's Word again here soon on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. 